When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Everyone, John Wertheim here. It's this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast. I am a few hours away from departing for Australia, but I'm here in studio with uh, Jamie. I'll bring you in, Jamie. Um, how you doing, Jamie? Good. How are you? Good, good. Um, this is just that uh, that window where you just try to tie up loose ends before leaving the country for uh, for two plus weeks. But the draw has just come out. It is Thursday morning, New York time, and I figured we would do a little Australian Open preview. Um, I feel like we, I can't believe I'm saying this, you know, we're with a headline on ESPN right now, Australia open is happening, says tournament director. So, so that's a good sign. But, uh, I feel like before we break down the draw and before we start talking about matches and Djokovic and whether Serena can win 24, I do feel like we need to dwell for a few minutes on the decidedly, uh, unpleasant topic of, um, bushfires and smoke and air quality. Um, it has not been a good week for, uh, well, I would say for the planet, but uh, more targeted, more specifically for Tennis Australia, a lot of uh, a lot of blowback for what happened the first day of qualifying. Um, things seem to have calmed down, but uh, what what are your thoughts about what we saw this week? Yeah, the players are they have no shame in explaining that they are having trouble breathing. They need asthma medication, or they need to get rid of these coughing fits before they can play the next point. I mean, so difficult these players. <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of remarkable um you know i know some some people are speaking out saying that they can't let this go that they have to sort of step up and you know make a change and and really say like we can't play this tournament but to your point i'm pretty sure they're going to play this tournament and uh it's going to be rough i mean we talk about heat is always an issue in australia we're not going to have heat breaks they might have to have some sort of air quality breaks breaks. i mean is this going to be like mile high where they have oxygen tanks on the on the sidelines you say that jokingly um i don't know where to start with this i think that um there was a real misstep of the tournament i mean everybody was watching to see what was going to happen that first day of qualifying and we kept hearing that in melbourne people were told not to go outdoors and if you were in a construction unit put down your tools and they canceled sporting events and the aussie rules football team had canceled practice and horse races were canceled the only event that seemed to have gone on was qualifying for a major. And I just don't get I mean, usually the Australian Open is so buttoned up and they're really good from from a marketing and PR department, from a marketing and PR standpoint. 
I can't figure this out. Everybody said, oh, they're so greedy. It's all about the money. And I'm thinking, money? It's, it's the first week of qualifying. There are no TV deals that are living right. and dying based on your coverage for, for qualifying. You're dealing with players who, by nature, are flexible about their travel plans. You don't have a lot of fans on site. It seems like an easy call. This seemed like a, a no-brainer. And there was a one-hour break, and then players went on the court, and we saw one player actually retire during a match because of a coughing fit. And as you say, all sorts of players took to social media, not just players that were qualifying, but you know, no. Alina Svitolina and right. Luca Pui. People who are practicing for the main draw and are there and are aware of what's happening. Um, exactly. And this whole, all, all of a sudden, the story went from, gee, it's it's great, uh, great misfortune that uh, Australia is going through this and it's really radically changed things, to wow, those Australian Open organizers don't have their act together. And even, you know, the Melbourne Age, the local paper's masthead editorial was about how flawed this decision was. So this was not people from a world away casting judgment. I mean, even on the ground, Simon Briggs uh, of, of the Telegraph in, in the UK, I mean, people who were on the, on the ground said this is absolutely nuts. And if this replicates itself, I mean, hopefully the Australian Open and, and Tennis Australia learned its lesson, but if this replicates itself next week, it could really be catastrophic um, from a PR standpoint, but also for players competing in best of five matches under under these conditions. Right. So, I think the, the big thing is about the conditions being quote-unquote playable. I think there's a big difference between, sure, you can go out there and play, and is it safe? Is it healthy? Is it okay for these players to com- be competing in those conditions? I mean, I think of it like if we had a big snowstorm, right? And they're like, sure, the roads are, you can drive on the roads, but you probably shouldn't, right? They're, they're, they're clear, but it's not safe out there, right? Stay home. So it's sort of very similar. I mean, they're saying, yeah, the roads are all right. We've, we've sort of paved them through, but it's not exactly the safest place for you guys to be right now. Probably better for everyone to stay home. So in this case, Sure. Is the, are the conditions playable? Can they go out there and can can they do what they need to do? Sure. But is it the best thing for player health and safety? And I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know. What do you what do you think the solution should be if next week come main, main draw time that yes. this continues? I mean, it's it's a terrible situation. And the I mean, I I, I get the the snow on the road analogy. The the difference here is that if you don't play. You're out of the tournament. So this isn't, hey, we're leaving it to you and we're advising against it, but hey, make your own decision. If matches are going on and you're trying to qualify and you say, you know what, this is crazy, I'm, I'm staying inside, you ain't advancing to the next round. So um, you, the, the agency sort of left the, the players at that point. I, I think the other thing I wrote about this this week is the obvious solution is, well, you just move matches indoors. Well, there are only three indoor-covered facilities. You have a, a practice center where, in theory, you could put matches there. But there are only three, I, I say only, I mean, it's it's the most among the majors, but you have three indoor facilities with roofs. There are 254 matches in the course of, of a major. Um, all this talk, I saw John McEnroe yesterday, oh, we should have an indoor major. I'm not sure that quite works out when you have 254 singles matches plus doubles, plus juniors, plus wheelchair. Um, I think people have talked about moving to another time of year, moving the Australian Open. I think something else that we haven't talked about much is you have these indices, and you have if the air quality is X, then we're going to cancel, and if it's beneath that threshold, matches go on. And that's similar to what we have for for heat. The difference with extreme heat is that there are a lot of data points, and we know what the body can take, and we know about hydration, and we know about body weight, and we know about conditioned 
athletes versus fans. There's a lot of information on heat. Nobody knows about this. I, mean, I don't. What, what are the effects six months down the road? I was going to say the playing, long-term effects are this the is toxic are the worst. air. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And I, I mean, what I also worry about is these matches go on, and six months from now, player X says I had to take 90 days out of my year because I had these t- toxic particulates in my lungs. Um, right. We don't know anything about this. So the tournament will go on as um, as the headline reads, but um, a. A literal and figurative cloud has already been cast over this event, and I think there's going to be a long, long post-mortem after this tournament. You hope this is a one-off. You hope this was this this imperfect storm. But sort of knowing what we know about man-made climate change, this uh, may may replicate itself uh, again. So, do you think that any action or statement from the, the top guys, the top women, you know, Rafa, Roger, Djokovic, if if they say and make a statement on this issue, do you think then that will push the conversation a little bit more? Or, or if, if you know, Rafa gets into a coughing fit, is that exactly. all of a sudden serious? That's so worldwide news in a way that, uh, and this is a, you know, it's a star-driven sport. All sports, to some extent, are star-driven. If Rafa Nadal is having a coughing fit and says, this is unsafe, that carries an awful lot of weight. That's an international story immediately. I mean, the, the number right. 182, I don't remember her ranking, uh, the woman who retired, mm-hmm. a qualifier outside the top 50 was an international story. Imagine if Federer, mm-hmm. Djokovic, Serena. I mean, the the only asterisk I put on that is, in all likelihood, the stars are going to play indoors. And we, we talk a lot about how tennis is rigged in favor of the top players, and they play the big courts, and they know where they're going to be, and they play at night when everyone else is, you know, toiling away in the heat. It's going to be even more dramatic and even more pronounced when Serena, Serena, Roger. I assume everyone's going to practice indoors at any opportunity they can. Again, it's just a real estate question. I mean, you have 256 men and women singles players, never mind everyone else, playing 254 matches. There are only so many indoor courts. And apparently at one of the other indoor facilities, the vents weren't open, so there was actually smoke in the indoor facility. Um, I I think, uh, I can't remember, I think Ben Rothenberg may have reported that, but Anyway, um, we have yet to hit a ball, and I feel like this tournament, to some extent, has already um, b- been defined. But yeah. um, let, let's—I mean—we'll follow the story, and I'll be in Melbourne, and we can talk next week. And we hope that uh, the rains come and the winds go in the right directions, and the fires die out. But it's—it's um, it's scary stuff. You'll—you'll you'll have to keep us posted. I mean, have they—have you received any um, warnings or kind of Bring a cautionary? Mask. Have you? Have they t- have your accommodations or airlines or anything like that provided any messages for when you land? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, b- sort of b- bring a mask was the advice I got, and um, you know, it's candidly, it's it's different in a, in a broadcast area than it is when you're out there playing best of five tennis. Um, I, I think everyone sort of fingers crossed that the rains are supposed to continue. And I mean, right now it's 56. I just looked on the weather app. I mean, it's 56 degrees in Melbourne. So it's, we'll sort of hope, hope the weather gods, uh, hope the weather gods do. But I, again, I would stress that, um, this does not seem to be, uh, you, you hope it is, but this does not seem to be a one-off. This is really something that, um, I I would say the planet and I would say Australia and even more targeted, this international sporting event really needs to reckon with. Um, you know, you, you cover you cover majors and you expect all sorts of upsets and unexpected results and tantrums and breakthroughs. And it's part of the beauty of the sport that every major is this whole set of uh, possibility and narrative. But 
tournament actually happening is not a headline <laughs> I ever uh, envisioned seeing. So, uh, but the tournament is happening. So why don't we go? Uh, why don't we just kind of quickly rip through the draw? I, I feel sometimes like these. We all love to preview a tournament and see is the defending champ going to defend and who's going to break through. And then about seventy-two hours into the tournament, when you realize all that, hell breaks loose. Exactly, and uh, you know if if half the top thirty-two seeds advance to the middle, you know advance to round three, it's uh, it's an achievement. But right. um, but why don't we uh, why don't we indulge ourselves? So um, you want to start with the women? Let's do it. Yeah, I mean we've got our draws in front of us here. The the most interesting stat about the women, um, and this is in stark contrast to the men, is that. Six different women have won the last seven Australian Opens. And for the men, they've all been won by the same three men, except for one, San Marinka on the right. side. So it's a, it's a very different uh, – I mean, we've talked about this. Since, Tail- since 2006, we should – I mean, yeah, for I mean, a 13, long, long thir- You know, 12 right. – the last 12 have been won by one of the big three. And then, you know, San Marinka thrown in there. But uh, on the women's side, I mean, six of seven – Right, and we're uh, we, we're also at a point where I think three years running, we've had four different majors won by four different players. Right. I mean, so this, we look at this as you say, you look at the draw, and you know, Ash Barty, top at the top, number one. She Aussie woman comes comes to Melbourne, but she's obviously a real contender, but she also has struggled here. So what what are your what are your thoughts? Um, wide open women's draw. You know what my my top line thought is. Serena Williams' best chance to win that elusive 24th major, tie Margaret Court, 38 years old, tie for the all-time record. Um, I think this is her best shot of her, whatever the number is, however remaining major she has, I think this is the best shot. She comes in fresh. She comes in having won her first tournament post-motherhood in Auckland. She comes in, and she looked, she looked pretty good. Yeah, she looks she, fit. She looks, she she looks, looks fit. She reached the major of the she reached the final of the previous major, which was also on hard courts. I'm starting to think tennis has a way of serving up these stories. I wouldn't uh, at at this point right now. I'd like to reserve the uh, the right to perhaps uh, reconsider. Right right now, I I think Serena's got as good a chance as anyone. Put it that way. I I totally agree, and I think it would uh, be right up tennis's alley to have her win, exactly. <laughs> have her win uh, in a place that is probably the farthest, or technically is the farthest from home. I think the U.S. Open. I mean, as you said, we've had we had so many chances for her last year, and um, the weight of the situation got the best of her in the in in, in all of those uh, moments, and for her to be kind of. Off the grid in a completely a different point. time zone. Most people probably aren't paying attention, you know, and aren't Su- watching Super Bowl weekend. Yes, I mean this is a this is a time where all eyes are not maybe on Serena, and for her at this point with what's on the line, it's uh sounds like a good recipe for number twenty four. I think that's a really good point. Um, Clay is going to be tough for her no matter what. I think Wimbledon is not as tough as Clay, but the, no, but the premium on movement. And you're right, the, the I mean, Royals come. Her history come and, there is just, it, it, you know, being in London and being at Wimbledon for her is almost just as home court advantage, quote unquote, as being, uh, or disadvantage, as being at the U.S. Open. Right. Because she's dominated there, like you said. The Royals are there. Her her friend Meghan Markle comes. You know, it's this big thing. She she loves being in Europe and she loves being there. But at the end of the day, that brings a lot of uh, you know 
people who will will take the flight to London and, and come see her in the middle of the summer. So it makes it that much harder. And you know, the, the U.S. Open, we the his, the recent history there is what it is. I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I mean, I think she's she's playing well. The surface favors her. Every other day favors her. Her family's there. But I think you're absolutely right that the fact that this it's two in the morning and this is not the most prominent of the majors in the U.S. It's Super Bowl weekend. The finals I think coincide with Super Bowl weekend. Um, what about our defending champion Naomi Osaka? Uh, one more point on Serena. I was going to say the number, the number next to her name is also, um, I think, in her favor. The fact that she is not the number one seed, not the number two seed, not even the number three seed, she's still sort of flying in that, uh, you know, low, low fly zone is is also um, to her advantage. But you know what? But but keep, to keep with that theme, winning that title bumped her up to number eight. She's the eighth seed, right? Which means not until the quarterfinals will she play a player. Right, ranked still above low enough. Her. Yeah, that so is, the is... difference between nine and eight, and we'll, we can talk about Medvedev also moving from five to four. Um, I think you're right. I think eight. Uh, you know, you'd, you'd love to be the number one player in the world, but moving into that top eight also uh, really advantages her. Well, she starts the tournament knowing it won't be until the quarterfinals till she meets a higher ranked opponent. Um, Naomi Osaka. Right, um, let's, let's blow through a few other names. Defending champ. She's got a new coach. Her another one, another one. I, mean, I was going to say this is like a four, four since this time last year. <laughs> so it's an interesting uh, thing to think about. Um, you know, usually when somebody has new coaches and just keeps pushing them through, I don't know what that says or who that says about more, but it's an interesting uh, relationship. Wim Fazette, correct? Correct. And I, I mean, I think it kind of cuts both ways. I mean, on the one hand, it does not suggest much in the way of stability. I mean, a lot of players, you know, Djokovic and Nadal segues from his uncle to Carlos Moya. In fact, I mean, a lot of players, you know, sort of Serena stick with one coach. On the other hand, it shows a real sort of ambition and maybe impatience and assertiveness. And I, I think it cuts both ways. I mean, it also says someone who, listen, I've got some real goals here and this player, this guy I'm working with is not helping me achieve those. I need to make a change. So I think she's not okay with mediocrity at this point. Exactly. She wants to keep it going and uh, keep getting better, which we're all for it. We'll see. She also, she lost in the, in the lead up, right? In, in, in Brisbane. Pliskova after holding match points. Yeah. So on the so one hand, uh, you're in a toss-up match with the number two player in the world. No shame in that. You know, you, you mentioned Barty, who lost to to Jen Brady. Uh, that's a much different kind of loss than losing the Pliskova. On the other hand, coming into a major that you're defending, having lost on match points uh, in your previous match, might not be the uh, ideal tune-up. Any other? Uh, I mean, d- as you say, speaking do, of do, Pliskova, she uh, number two seed. She Serena start- Slayer last year. Yes, she starts off against uh, Kiki Maldonovich, which uh, should be an interesting match. Um, yeah, there's some interesting. Sorry, that's my phone going off, uh, <laughs> which is the story of my life. Um, uh, Maldonovich, uh, obviously not the, the player she was, at least not in singles. But uh, no, that's that is a tough first round match. As long as you brought up first round matches, Venus and Coco, of course, is the uh, the, the who writes this stuff. And I, I think that's tennis, man. I know that's <laughs> what I'm saying, Serena. That's. Uh, when, when Serena wins 24, we'll know uh, this had been pre-authored in advance. But um, I, I look at this women's draw, and it's sort of the, the theme we always talk about, which is women's draw, wide open, men's draw, three names you circle, and then a, a significant climb. Um, I worry. I'm just. Look, I'm just. We can just go down these names. I mean, sure. Holop came within a few points of uh, yeah, but that's winning a, this event two years ago, but has not been. That's a tough uh, first rounder for her. I mean, you just mentioned Jen Brady. Hmm. Um, you know she's she's and lost in uh, lost in tune-ups. Did Holop right? I mean she's looked great, 
but ever since that Wimbledon 2019, you're a little unsure, and that's a tough first-round matchup. But if she can get through that, uh, you know, wouldn't put it past her. It was her only title of 2019, winning Wimbledon. Um, I, you know, Petra Kvitova came within a few points of winning the title last year and, and completing this great comeback story. She is a player who historically has, has been very averse to adverse conditions, to heat, and she's had some breathing issues. Right. She's a player that I, with clearly speculation, and this isn't based on anything other than some past history, but that she's a, the kind of player you worry about if the air quality is low. This is a player who's had breathing and respiratory issues in the past. I will say, though, she's been uh, remarkably more fit yeah, very durable and, since coming, uh, you know, since coming back. So I will give her that. But I agree, that's uh, not not the greatest given, given the conditions. Uh, I would also um, circle the Maria Sharapova-Donovecic first rounder on there. If Maria Sharapova, a wild card, um, loses in the first round of the Australian Open, and you're right, she, she plays a seed, the 19th seed in her first round match, I don't know how long, I mean, it's it's sort of unseemly to speculate about players' careers in an individual sport, play as long as you like, but how much longer, if Maria Sharapova does not do well in Australia, again, a wild card this year, and she draws a seed in her first round match, how more of these can she take? Yeah, I mean, she uh, she's definitely had a a lot to overcome off the court in the past couple years so it will be interesting to see how she fares throughout this whole year and then once we get to the end what her decision is i'll circle another wild card for you coco vandaway nice to see her back in a in a main draw of a major former semi-finalist in australia three years ago as well um all right give me so so let's just cut to the chase pick a winner I think I'm with you on Serena. Really? The more we talk about it and the more I'm always, uh, you know, picking these things, as you say. I mean, you wake up after day, uh, you know, after day two, day three, and all hell has broke loose. The seeds are carnage and you're left with. Why did we waste no- time nothing, mapping out the. Nothing uh, that you yeah, said right, in the beginning. Exactly. So I'm all for uh, some feel good stories. Uh, tennis has a way of writing these things that looking back are just absolutely insane that you couldn't script better so i'm with you i think the cards seem to be in serena's favor and um i'll go with that you want to give me a sleeper um i will give you caroline wozniacki as Ooh. and just a a kind of the there are a lot interview. of unseated unseated players here that are, are are kind of dangerous i mean um talk about sharapova being a wild card wozniacki also unseated she will retire after this so you know what i i would give it to her to Go hard and uh, you know leave it all out there, and there's no reason why she she can't have a nice little run here. And uh, Muguruza is another. I was going to say you want a crazy name that isn't seated. Yeah. Um, A coaching change that probably was a long time coming and a long time overdue. This is a player chronologically in the prime of her career. She could retire tomorrow, probably be a Hall of Fame player, and she is not seated. She's outside. I mean, think about that group of people: Wozniacki, Sharapova, Muguruza. If you gave that list of names. At any other point in time, would you uh, ever, if you had an A, B, C, D, multiple choice, would you ever choose the answer that said most dangerous unseated players? I mean, it's it's three it's crazy. three Hall of Famers uh, without a without a number next to their name. Um, all right, what about you? Um, any other uh, any other sleepers? I, you know, there are a Upset, lot of players upsets? playing well, and I, I I feel like we go through this all the time. Where there are a lot of players that play well in the in the tune-ups events, and they either keep that momentum or they've overplayed. And Danielle Collins, who had a very nice Australian Open last year, and then it's sort of the check. game tailed off. I mean, she's played terrific. I mean, she's 
winning matches left and right so far these first two weeks of the season. Um, if she has not overplayed, Sabalenka is another name that I, I would put sort of same same theory coming in very much in form. You just worry about overplaying. And I know we, we've talked about that on, on the men's side too, that these ATP Cup matches where players have not only played four matches, but some of these have been very intense matches under these trying emotional circumstances. I mean, you look at Nadal's, Nadal's lost two matches already, and you look at the four matches he's played, and I'm not sure that is optimal preparation uh, before a major. But um, I'll, I'll put Daniel Collins as my sort of a, I don't know if she qualifies as a dark horse, having been a week two player last year, but, um, no, but that's a very good, nice start to the year. Good Daniel name Collins. Um, all right, let's switch to the men real quick. Um, as opposed to the women, and we say this for years, this has been a, um, a recurring theme, that if... The women's field is wide open. The men's is uh, a closed shop, and it's three names. And I, I would say one, one name, then you, you can add two, and then it's a long staircase down. Is someone other than uh, – let's put it this way, Jamie. Novak Djokovic, your seven-time champion, defending champion. Um, would you take him or the field? I mean, I think you got to go with Djokovic. Over 127 other players combined. Yes, you make it sound really tempting, but uh... – it's it's amazing. I mean, we said it at the beginning here, but these guys together, the big three, have won all the last 12 Grand Slams in total. But 13 of the last 14 Australian Opens have been won by either Federer, Dandal, or Djokovic, minus Wawrinka's 2014, right? So, I mean, that right there is just insane. It's crazy. And given Federer's almost 40, you got Nadal, who's now number one, kind of clawing at all these records, it'll be his second time winning Australia if he does it, right? Nadal, ironically enough, has only won Australia once, right. and that was a decade ago. That was uh, the, the 2009, you know, Roger crying so on So he'd Ron, win Ron every Labor. major, you know. Double double, uh, double career slam for Nadal exactly. if he were to... Uh, so uh, it's, it's just so interesting, and I think, obviously, Djokovic has the advantage here, but... Uh, we talk about the conditions, and we thought we talk about things having to go right, and all the little weird things that happen in these tournaments. And who knows? I mean, maybe Nadal continues his uh, his streak here. But what? Who who are you picking? Yeah, I I think I would take Djokovic over the field. He comes in in form. He comes in in good spirits. He looked great, and also had those those emotional wins in ATP Cup. Off the gate, right right off the bat, he gets uh, Jean-Leonard Struff, a nice player who will get him into the tournament, player he's familiar with, a player who will give him a workout, but he's not going to beat him. And then the draw really opens up. Tsitsipas is the other top eight seed in his quarter. Right. Uh, he is in Rogers half of the draw, but but on hardcore, it's best of five. Um, I'm sure Djokovic uh, w- would be the favorite in that match. I just don't see anyone beating him in a best of five match, and especially in Australia, especially coming in, Again, on this emotional high, defending champion. It's not quite Nadal at the French Open, but what is it, six, 68 and, and I don't have this offhand. 68 and 8, I believe, is his head to head record in Melbourne. I mean, he won this event in 2008 for the first time, and here we are 12 years later, and he's still the overwhelming favorite. I, I don't see anyone other than. I mean, I, I wish I had. Uh, this is going to be the tournament where Medvedev breaks. I just don't see but anyone. But we could get a Nadal Djokovic final. That we could. And, and I. I and think and there and there, what's I mean? I think hard, you're, hard, hard, yeah, yeah, you're still bad, you're still bad picking Djokovic, on hard courts, but yeah. but that's a uh, that's an awesome match, and that would be a great final if we uh, if we get there. But there's a lot a lot to play through until we get there. I mean, uh, you got Nikirios still hanging in twenty third seed. Yeah, I'll tell you two things. I mean, the 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 hot 
conversation on Nick Curios is that when he plays for himself, he gets bored, he gets scared. It's a referendum on his courage. There's all sorts of, of psychoanalysis that goes on. And the theory with Curios is that when he plays for a team and he can high five and he's representing something more than himself, that's when he's at his best. And in this situation, when his hometown of Canberra is is distressed right, in Australia. Right. You think there's I, something I buy more. all that. Yeah, and then I see his spot in the draw um, playing Nadal in, in the fourth round, and I think that's when uh, that's when our story ends. So, I, you know, I, I think Nick Kyrgios was sort of a, a hot pick among a lot of people, partially for the tennis, partially for the emotion, partially for the psychoanalysis, but I, I do— uh, I don't think he's beating Rafa Nadal in, in a best-of-five match. And I don't think, you know, Kyrgios is, um, the, there is a fairly significant range of reception in, in tennis and in men's tennis in particular. He has a lot of friends. He has a lot of people who find him endearing, and he's a good hang. And there are other people who don't have much use for him. And I think it's pretty clear Nadal falls squarely in, into that category. That's a match Rafa gets up for. We saw it at Wimbledon last year. Right, right. Um, I, I think Nick Kyrgios is a, a player a lot of people are talking about for, for different reasons, and rightfully so. I think he deserves an awful lot of credit for really kick-starting all of this attention right. about the bushfires. But I also think that um, as far as this tournament goes, when he is that close to Rafa Nadal in the draw, we sort of diminishes our enthusiasm of uh, the Nick Kyrgios wins his first major storyline. At the very least, uh, hopefully we'll see some aces. I think he's donating $200, 200 bucks, yeah. per ace. So uh, at the very least... Hopefully that. But um, I think the other interesting thing is we talk about Magrutha Wozniacki on the women's side as unseated, most dangerous players. But on the men's side, you've got two names that stuck out for me in Kevin Anderson and, and Marin Cilic. I mean, Cilic, he was a finalist two years ago, right? And uh, Kevin Anderson, not somebody that you really want across the net. Uh, at this p- time, I mean, obviously he had his success at the U.S. Open, but and he's had some injuries since then. But he's another one. I mean, these are two two players. Again, if you would have uh, multiple choice said that they were unseated players in this draw, it's it's really interesting. One of them, Chilich, a major winner on hard courts and a finalist, as you say, in Australia two years ago. The other, Kevin Anderson, has been to two major finals in the past three years. This is Kevin Anderson's first event back, I believe, since uh, since Wimbledon. Uh, you know, we talked about Serena moving into that top eight and how significant that is. Right, same right. for uh, same for Medvedev, who now, because of the ATP Cup, has moved into the top four. Um, I'll give you the opposite, which is uh, Francis Tiafo had a uh, second-week performance last year and was top 30, a lot of momentum, and really didn't do a whole lot the rest of the year. He is unseated, Francis is. He fell out of the top 32, so now he has a very, very tough first-round match. Let me ask you, uh, insofar as a—and again, it it sounds almost whimsical to talk in these terms, but, Jamie, insofar as a non-Big 3 player wins this event and breaks through, um, I mean, just going down the seedings, we're we're talking Medvedev team, Tsitsipas, and Zverev in that order. Um, Of those four, or throw in another— Something something's up with Sasha. Yep. So X him off the board here. Um, he is on a losing streak. He's not doing too well. Sitsipas he uh, he had an interesting ATP Cup. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't I don't know about him either. I mean, team. He had a weird 2019, but uh, you know I think maybe you got to go with him based solely on experience in those big five set matches on the big stage in majors um he's he's at least made it to the point where he had a chance to win but uh i don't know how you pick against anyone in that big three i I mean i say this i feel like a broken record 
best of five is a big difference from best of three. And uh, you can do terrific damage at the uh, World Tour Finals in London, and you can do great, you know, play great tennis and really outlast these guys at, at run-of-the-mill events and even at Masters 1000s, but you get out there in a best-of-five format, and it really is hard this to This is what they play for. It. Exactly. This is what they tailor their schedule to. This is what gets them up in the morning for training. And as you said, you can win the World Tour Finals in November at the rhythm. end of the year, but at, at that time, these guys they're checked out. They're not they're not fully there, and this is what they get up for. And I uh, I don't know. You can't. We're not knocking anyone off of that uh, that podium, that big that big three podium. I'm I'm with you in in Melbourne this year. Um, all right, so so you're picking Djokovic. I'm picking Djokovic. Let's um a couple of other notes. I think we all expect to see some retirements in. 2020, um, Steve Darcy, who may not be the, the most high-profile high name to retire in 2020, but he gets the proverbial ball rolling um, with an announcement. Also, in doubles, Robert Farah, um, number one doubles player in the world, uh, has a provisional suspension on account of a, uh, of a, of a drug test. And uh, so that will really—and I mean, this is a, a player who uh, is a you know, defending doubles champion at Wimbledon and the U.S. Open— that will impact the doubles draw a great deal. The Bryan brothers have announced that this is their last year on tour. Big opportunity for for Bob and Mike. I was gonna say mention uh, mention the Bryan brothers here as uh, your doubles doubles nod as um, they begin this tour. Again, we talk about sentiment for Serena, maybe sentiment for uh, the Bryan brothers. Both uh, both now married and in what they've announced as their last year on tour. Um, again, I mean we we can check back with each other during the tournament. Um, the, the draw intrigues. I think there are probably more intriguing first-round matches on the women's side than on the men's side, but then uh, we've got some interesting men's it's matches. It's a common theme as of late, that. but uh, that's what happens when you've got three yeah. stalwarts at the top versus, uh, you know, six different winners in exactly. seven years or whatever the stat is. And, so. and a quarter of your players are, are seated. Um, all right, let's... Um, Let's check back in a few days. Again, um, all of this goes on with uh, this Paul cast over the tournament. And again, we, we talked about this last week. I think everyone's going to have to sort of calibrate uh, and use the disclaimer that um, things like air quality and fires the size of Austria burning nearby are ultimately more important than whether, uh, you know, Nick, Nick Kyrgios does or doesn't uh, make it to his appointed date with Rafa Nadal. But uh, we will try to uh, balance that and try to cover this as uh, the, the credible major it is, but also keep in mind that there is um, some interesting juxtaposition here with the with the fires. Um, all right, that does it for me. I'm headed to the airport, Jamie. All right, you've got a, a flight to catch. I'll talk to you from, uh, from a different part of the world 16 hours uh, away. Sounds good. I'll be uh, I'll be there. All right, that does it for uh, for this week. A little uh, pre Aussie Open talk. Uh, I'm John Wertheim. She's Jamie Lasanti. Leave your suggestions, ratings, reviews. Uh, you can subscribe Apple Stitcher wherever podcasts are sold. We will try and do a mid tournament podcast from Australia. But uh, enjoy the first week of action, everyone, and uh, enjoy the tennis. Enjoy the tennis. Exactly. Thanks, Jamie. We'll